Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good to see you all. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to continue talking about the vision for liberty, and we're going to continue with our first word, which is belong. Belong to the body of Christ. In Ephesians 5, we're going to start in verse 15. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. One of the things I want to do today is to give you a view of what God says about the church. What does God see when he looks at his church? And really, these verses that we see in Ephesians spell it out very clearly what God's view of the church is. If we pick it back up in verse 25, notice what it says. He loved the church. He gave himself up for her. Why? Because he wants to sanctify her. And he wants to cleanse her. All of those things lead us to what it says in verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself with four things. First, splendor. Second, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Third, holy. And four, without blemish. That's the Father's view of the church. And if you are part of the church, if you are a member of the universal church, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, if you believe in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, then you're part of that church. And the church reminds us who we are and who we should be. Think about it. Church reminds us who we are and who we should be. We come, we hear the word preached, we're in the service during worship, lifting up our voices. We are reminded by the atmosphere, by the words, by the music, by the words in the music of who we are and who we should be. We're also reminded of whose we are. We are God's. And this is a continual reminder that we get within the local church. The other day I was dropping off a package at FedEx and it was close to when they were closing. Uh, and so there wasn't anyone else in the store except the FedEx lady. 
And so I started sharing with her, with her, and it was obvious that she was desperate for community. Um, she was so desperate that um, she would actually go to church occasionally, even though she wasn't a Christian and really didn't believe it. As she put it, she didn't believe like her grandma believed. But she wanted community. She wanted somewhere to belong. And so she was going to a church, um, not to the Sunday service. She occasionally went to that, but she was going to a mom's group that meant there because she wanted fellowship of some sort. She didn't really, I would say, fully realize she wanted that. She didn't realize she needed a community of sorts. But when when you, you get down to it, after talking with her, it was apparent that she wanted to be a part of something. She wanted to be with people who encouraged her, who helped her, who stood with her. And at this local church, she was finding that. And so as we talked, um, I tried to emphasize, you know, the role that the church plays in our life and how God has put the church here on earth to do his work. But part of that work, right, is spreading the gospel. Part of that is ministering to one another. Part of that is serving the needs of the saints. Part of that is helping the poor and on and on. And here's the thing that happens with all of us, including her. We have um, an internal voice, and then there's external voices. And our internal voice um, is always telling us something. It's always speaking to us. It's always a positive or a negative voice, depending on, on how you grew up and maybe the influence of your parents and other people. Um, that voice tends to be either lean more positive or lean more negative. But that voice is always saying something. It's like our, our inner person, so to speak. And it's speaking to us. It's saying something. And, and we hear something. That's why sometimes you give someone a compliment and they kind of deflect it, right? Um, that, that it's like that's the, maybe the negativity kind of pushing that comment away because they don't feel like they deserve that, that compliment. Um, so we got one inner voice, but we have many external voices. And we got... The world saying stuff to us all the time in all sorts of forms and all sorts of ways. All these different voices. We got bosses saying stuff, co-workers saying stuff, our parents saying stuff, our kids saying stuff, all these external voices. And our flesh can actually end up doing the same thing, right? It's got a little struggle going on there as well. But here, when it comes to the church, the church should be the place right here to be a sanctuary for your soul against all those external voices. And this should be a place where you can come and hear truth. And this should be a place where you can come and be ministered to. This should be a place where you can come and do ministry towards others. And I want you to notice that this is seen earlier in the passage that we read back in verse 19. Paul's commanding us to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, okay? So that's what we might call like horizontal church. That's you and me, all right? So if we're addressing one another, you know, like if I come down off the stage and I'm coming over here and I'm coming over here to Laura and Joy and I'm like talking to them and having a conversation and seeing how they're doing, right? You guys don't see me come off the stage too often, do you? <clears throat> And then I come over to Sean, and there's Amanda, right? And I'm interacting with them and talking with them and having a conversation. That's, I'm, we're addressing one another, right? Yeah? 
this is kind of a little interaction thing, especially when I come off the stage. Help me out a little bit, all right, guys? <laughs> We're addressing one another, and that's like the what we might call the horizontal church. It's the believers interacting with other believers. So that's the first part where it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But then it goes on, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And that's the second part, what we might call the vertical church. That's between us and the Lord, right? So we have a horizontal relationship with one another, but we have a vertical relationship between us and God. And here, what we're seeing is that the two go together. The two go together. So we're, we're doing the, the horizontal, but then we're also doing the vertical. Here's what I want to encourage you with a little bit, is the vertical is really meant to occur in the context of the horizontal. And the horizontal is meant to occur in the context of the vertical. So can you worship the Lord on your own in your prayer closet? Absolutely. But there's a different sense and a different feel when we're gathered together as the saints worshiping the Lord. And can you kind of get together with one or two people or something like that and, and hang out and have a good time? Yes, but there's a different feel and a different context when we're here gathered as the church ministering to one another. That's, that's the church. And the word puts emphasis on believers gathering with one another. Look at Acts chapter 2. I want you to notice this. It starts out, uh, let's pick it up in 42. Uh, Pastor Justice did a great job a couple weeks ago sharing on this, as did uh, Pastor Braden at our Foundations Conference. Amen. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. All right, notice what it says there in verse 44. Uh, all who believed were together. They were together. Let's keep reading. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, right, you see that? Day by day. Yours might say daily. Day by day, attending the temple together, oh, there's that word again, together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, there's that little phrase again, those who were being saved. And over and over we see the scripture puts this emphasis from the very beginning of the actual church of the New Testament, of believers regularly gathering together for fellowship and worship. And think of what Hebrews 10 says, don't neglect to meet together. So I would submit to you that, that this time that we're together is the most important two to three hours of the week. I would submit that to you. The most important two to three hours because we are doing here and we are exhibiting the truth of the scriptures. We're embodying it. We're doing what we're commanded to do. So here's what happens when, when, when you're not here. Three things I want to talk about that happen when, when you miss 
that you miss out on when you're not here. One, you miss out on words from God. All right, notice I said words from God. The teaching of the church is given to the elders to lead and oversee. And the church protects, upholds, keeps, and stays faithful to the word of God. So God gives the word to the church. Okay? He doesn't give it to the family. He doesn't give it to the civil authorities. He gives it to the church. Okay? We recognize this as God's word. We recognize it. That's a key word. We recognize it as God's word. We acknowledge it as God's word. And our job is to protect it, uphold it, keep it, stay faithful to it. Make sure it's not profaned. Make sure it's not distorted. Make sure it's not twisted. That's why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, preach the what? Preach the word. Preach the word. And we see this also in Acts 20, verse 31. Look at Acts 20. So Paul's wrapping up exhorting the Ephesian elders, and he says in verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul's in Ephesus for three years doing his ministry, preaching the word, and ministering to those people. Now, so many times I've known different situations people are working through or dealing with. Um, I go to church. Um, For many years, I was more of a listener than the preacher. And the sermon is on something like directly dealing with that person's issue, struggle, concern. And I look around, excited that that person is going to be ministered to, and they're not there. It happens um, more than you think. Um, It happened last week. I believe the Lord had a word for someone last week, but they weren't here to receive it. And that happens. Um, And I'm not saying there aren't good and legitimate reasons to miss. What I am saying is, consider, when you're not here, what you're missing. Have you ever been spoken to through a sermon? On a regular basis? Okay, so think about what you miss when you're not here. Listen, it's not the preacher, trust me. I know that. It's the word he's preaching. And God takes something as plain and simple as human speech. Right? Something that we're doing all the time. Sometimes too much of talking. And God takes human speech and uses it to speak to us and to train us and to admonish us and to correct us and to build us up. So that's the first thing you miss out on is words from God. Second, you miss out on ministry from others. The hand needs the foot. The foot needs the eye. The eye needs the mouth. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, I was at a challenging point a number of years ago, and I remember I I came forward for prayer. And I was uh, actually, I was on my knees, um, praying, seeking the Lord, and someone just came up from behind me and laid their hand on my shoulder. I don't even know who it was. To this day, I still don't know. Um, And they never said a single word to me. But when they did that, 
that just that simple, you know, little act of just putting their hand on me, um, it was like as if God himself was touching me. And I just felt like a reassurance from the Lord that he was with me, and he was going to walk with me, and he was going to help me go through the challenging situation that I was in. Just something as simple as that. And that person never even knew that, because I don't even know who it was. A simple thing like that of ministry to others. <clears throat> we can miss out on that. We can miss out on those opportunities of us being ministered to. Look, if we're going through challenging times, God doesn't want us going through that stuff alone. He doesn't want us bearing our burdens alone. That's what he's given us the body for. Right? Bear one another's burdens is what Galatians says. So let's, when we come, we should be ready to do that ministry. We should be ready to reach out. Um, each one of us has a gift. We should be ready to use that. So that's the second thing. Third, you miss out on ministry to others. All right, You miss out on ministry to others. 1 Corinthians 12 again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And every single believer, every single believer has a spiritual gift. Every single one. You got at least one. And God wants you to use it. He wants you to use it. Are you using your spiritual gift? It's for the edification of the body. Have you ever come to church before and been ministered to by someone else? All right. That should be happening on a regular basis in small ways and big ways. I remember years and years ago, there was a person... And it seemed like during worship, like it was like they, it was real, it was just amazing to watch this person sometimes worship because it just you could tell they truly loved the Lord and were singing with all their heart, soul, mind, strength. And sometimes, if if I wasn't if I was struggling engaging in worship and my heart wasn't where it needed to be, guess what I would do. I'd open my eyes to see what that person was doing <laughs> because it was an encouragement to me. I was like, wow, look at, look at that person. That's like what I need, Lord. Like, help me get there. I, I want that, Lord. That person's like exactly where they need to be, and that's where I need to be. And, and, and the same thing is true. You, you people who sit in the front might not, you really don't see it. You kind of miss out. But if you didn't sit in the back, right, and you got your eyes open, I mean, you can see what the, what the Lord's doing, and you can see people engaging in worship. That is an encouragement to other people to continue to engage. So the, the question should be, how does the Lord want me to minister to people? When you're, when you're driving to church, how does the Lord want me to minister to people today? How does he want me to use my gifting? And really, we should be coming to church uh, not to get, but to give. All right? Give to God the glory to his name. Give to others the ministry they need. One of the things uh, from the Foundations Conference that we had last month that Pastor Morrow um, talked about, he, just, he said some amazing things. One particular thing that's kind of stuck out with me um, since then was he said, your face and faith should match. You guys remember that? 
your face and faith should match. I, I mean, I've been just chewing on that, well, for over a month, thinking about that. I had a friend um, years ago always complained about people smiling at church. <laughs> Seriously. She felt, she felt people were being fake at church. She's there, everyone's always smiling. But what if instead of being fake, they were really pushing through the hurt and the disappointment of their week and trying to let their face match their faith? And what if instead of putting on a fake smile, they were letting the joy of the Lord be their strength in the midst of a trial? And that joy was showing itself. So, your face and faith should match. Listen, when you come on Sundays, God wants to do something. He wants to do something. We're not just gathered here as little individual people. He wants to do something in our midst. He wants ministry to occur. He wants the word to go forth. He wants his name glorified. And here's the thing. Um, Years and years ago, I realized a couple things about myself. Um, I love staying up late. Anybody love staying up late? All right. I'm, like, I'm a night owl. Um, I wish sometimes I could be like some of you that wake up at, you know, Greg Tyler like wakes up at like 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that, all right? He's like ready to go. <clears throat> um, back in my youth ministry days, I had more of an excuse to stay up late. I don't really have that excuse anymore, and I really don't take it. But the Lord spoke to me years ago, and it was when we had Change the Globe on Saturday nights, and I'd be out there late, and I'd come, I'd just come dragging in on Sunday mornings, like just dragging in, completely tired and exhausted. Um, and I realized, I realized something. My sleep, just my, my sleep was affecting my Sunday worship and my Sunday interactions with fellow believers. Something just as simple as that. Um, and the Lord was like, I don't want you in here dragging. Because you, you need to be alert. And you need to hear the word. And you need to be ready to go. And you need to be ready to minister. And if you're in here up till all hours of the night, you're going to be less effective. At least I am. I'm much less effective on less sleep. The other thing he spoke to me about was getting here early. Now, I'm the, past, I'm the senior pastor, so I really have no excuse, right? Um, but at the time, I wasn't. And here, here's what happened is, it'd be like, I don't know what time, how far away you guys live, but like we'd get in the car, and I'd be trying to rush people out of the house, and then my frustration level and my stress level is just like getting higher and higher and higher and higher. And I realized, man, this is not putting me in a good position to like walk into church. <clears throat> uh, Andrew and I were, uh, went to a wedding yesterday, and we were running behind. And about halfway to the wedding, I looked over to her, and I was like, I don't like this feeling. <laughs> because it's like the stress was, was rising. I'm like, we're going to be walking in with the bride, all right? <laughs> That's like one of my worst fears, okay? <laughs> walking in with the bride. That's, you don't want to do that. 
So sometimes, though, we're setting ourselves up where we're coming into church and we've just, like, yelled at everyone in the van, including your dog, and, and the dog's not even in the van, okay? I mean, so we're just not setting ourselves up to have a good experience and to serve the Lord and worship Him at church. The other thing is this, so that's my second thing, is arrive in enough time. Third, mentally prepare. Like, mentally prepare. Like, some of us... Um, God has us in different positions in our workplace where we might have um, certain responsibilities regarding maybe overseeing a meeting. What well, You probably mentally prepare for that meeting, right? You want to be ready to go. You want to be prepared. You want to be... And so you probably just don't get there if the meeting starts at 8.30 at like 8.29 and rush up there, right? You want to get there, collect your thoughts, be ready to go. I, there's a similar thing with church where... Again, at least for me, if I just rush in at the last minute, I'm just kind of scatterbrained. And I need some time to collect my thoughts. Um, And so, let's say I'm not preaching a a particular week. I'll get here, and I'll usually be in my office, and I'll like read, I'll read like a couple Bible verses, or maybe I'll read a psalm. Maybe I'll come in here, even if it's just for like a minute or two, I'll set my stuff down, I'll kind of get myself situated, just so that it's like, once it's time for me to head in, I'm not like rushing around, I'm not trying to figure things out, and I've gotten a little bit of the word in me to kind of set the tone for myself for the service. I'm trying to put myself in a position to receive best whatever the Lord might want to speak to me about that day. I'm trying to put myself in a position where my heart's at a place where I can worship Him rightly. Here's the thing, friends. We need one another. We need one another. Years ago, uh, when I was a teenager, and it really was years ago, uh, I was on this trip. I was given this present to go on this whitewater rafting trip with youth kind of like from around the United States. So there was like, I don't know, 15 of us or something. And one of the things that they did on one of the off days from the whitewater rafting was we were in Utah, and we had to hike up... um, hike up this mountain, not like a 10,000-foot mountain, but maybe a, I don't know, 4,000-foot mountain. But anyway, we hiked up this mountain, and on the way back, um, all the adult leaders were like, oh, we're going to stop and take a break and, you know, get, you know, have some water. So we did that, and the leaders were like, hey, we're just going to go on ahead and see how things are, and, and um, we'll be back. And they didn't come back. <laughs> So then, like, you know, 10 to 15 teenagers were all having this, this discussion of, like, okay, did they get lost? Did something happen to them? Is this a test for us? I mean, all this thing, right? And everyone had different opinions. We kind of sort of came to the conclusion that, that they probably knew what they were doing, and it was a test for us to see how we were, were going to handle it. And we were, like, miles and miles from, from, from the base camp. And, and we really hadn't paid much attention on the way up is we're just following the person in front of us, right? Well, the most popular, best-looking, most-built guy, it wasn't me, okay? <laughs> he lasted like 15 minutes. And then he's like, the heck with you all, I'm out of here. And he just like took off on his own. And like all of a sudden, like our little, our little group is like splintering and some people are going ahead and charging ahead and some people are staying behind and you know, I mean, we're just all over.
over the place. <clears throat> we all did eventually make it back to the base camp. Um, but he took off on his own and left everyone else. He failed. He failed himself. He failed his group. And he didn't realize uh, that, that he needed that group. Now, we needed him. We knew that. Um, but he didn't realize he needed that group. Listen, we need each other. And those leaders were trying to teach us to depend on one another. And some of the people in the group, um, you know, weren't as, eight, I mean, it was, a, it was a long trek, so they couldn't go as fast, right? And so they were trying to teach us that we needed to depend on one another, we needed to support one another, we needed to help one another. Um, and, and that's the same for us, right? All of us have strengths and weaknesses, every single one of us. And hopefully your strengths cover my weaknesses, and hopefully my strengths cover your weaknesses, and so on with other people, right? So that as a body, we're strong. As a body, we're strong. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's start in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And here's where I want to I camp on for a second. Is one, we're the living stones, Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, but then notice what it says, are being built up. All right, it's in the present tense, showing continuous action. We are being built up. So we're this temple of stones. We're being built up, being built together. And Christians, listen, we have to choose between isolation and belonging. And isolation is easy, all right? You can check out anytime you want. You can go do your own thing anytime you want. Belonging, it's costly. But guess what? It's much more satisfying. When we're in community, when you belong, you are more satisfied. Why? Because that's what you were designed for. Listen, a brick is of little use by itself, all right? By itself, it can only be used for minimal things. However, its usefulness is maximized when it's used alongside other bricks. Similarly, apart from one another, we can't complete the mission God's called us for if we're just out all doing our own little thing. No, we need to be the living stones being built together into the temple of God. A bunch of stones just laying around on the ground, that doesn't do anybody any good. But being built together can complete a structure. And because we're the temple of God, we see that God is still working on us and in us and through us. He's still doing some building. And the, the word being in this passage means we're not yet where we need to be yet. We are in the process of it. But we should not be discouraged when we see sin or failure in the church. 
We should be careful about the desire to quit or to give up on ourselves. We should be careful about the desire to quit or give up on others. Why? It's a process. We are being built into a spiritual house. So he's not done with me, and he's not done with you. And he's fashioning each stone exactly how he wants it. So we need to give each other the grace to let God keep fashioning the other stones around you. Why? Well, in part, because we're giving you the grace for God to keep fashioning you. Because we all got some rough edges. So we are growing into this spiritual house, but I want you to notice back in verse 4 that I read, as you come to him. As you come to him. Jesus, the living stone rejected by men. Okay, this process of growing more unified, it's, it's kind of like if you think of like a triangle, right? So if you're, kinda, if you're at one end of that bottom of the triangle and I'm at the other end, then at, and, and Christ is at the top of the triangle, then as we are growing closer to the Lord, we'll grow closer to one another in community and fellowship and love. So if, if I put Christ at the top, and I'm, I'm striving towards him, and you guys are doing the same, and we're all doing it together, then as we grow closer to Christ, we'll grow closer to one another. The fellowship will be sweeter. So we focus on Christ. We will continually find more intimacy and joy with the members of God's house. But if we focus on something else, if we focus on ourselves, if we don't focus on the Lord, we'll find more time to complain, more time to be upset. We've got to focus on Christ. He's the pinnacle. Last, um, last year, our, our book that we read through on conversion, um, it said this, one of the best paragraphs in the book. It says, because of Christ, I have more in common with a retired widow in my church than I do with a non-Christian dad who is my age and likes to hike and camp like me. Because of Christ, a white, middle-aged businessman has more in common with a young Native American woman in his church than he does with a non-Christian member of his Rotary Club. To the world, this seems crazy, but it's true. And the only way to explain it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which makes us one. And my question for us, my question for you is, is do you believe this? Do you believe that? Because if you believe it, then age won't affect you being involved. And age won't keep you from going to certain events. Age won't be a hindrance. That's for the old people. You won't say that. That's for the young people. You won't say that. Oh, I'm not into that. You won't say that. That's not for me. You won't say that. Because you want to belong, and you do belong, you participate in the life of the church corporately. And let's do something radical. Let's do things as a community. I mean, think about 
how whack that would look to the world. They come in here and see some 23-year-old single lady talking to some 65-year-old lady who has four grown children and is holding her first grandchild. Not just topical conversation, but like really fellowshipping. Listen, sometimes it doesn't take that much to be radical to the world. And here's the thing. We're not called to just mere attendance, to just showing up. We're called to participation. Look at Philippians chapter 1. He says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Yours might say uh, fellowship or participation. We're called to this partnership, to this participation, to this fellowship. That's that Greek word. Uh, most people only know like three or four Greek words. Well, this is one of them. It's koinonia, fellowship, participation. And what does that look like for us? Well, it's going to look different for each one of us, but from the casual observer, they'll see someone who doesn't just show up at 10.30 and leave at 12, once a week, and that's it. Their full commitment to church each week is much more than 90 minutes. You can't belong if you're in isolation. And here's the thing. Belong means community, not isolation. It also means assimilation, where you're bringing, being brought in. It also means integration, where you're worked into what's going on, and it means participation, full part of, partaking of it. Because the truth is, we need one another. We need one another. And listen, a call to belong to Christ is a call to belong to the church. Because by definition, if you believe, if you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you become a part of the church. You're participating. But you've got to fully participate, fully belong. Show that you belong. Listen, if you're called to the groom, then you need to act like the bride. Right? Do I need you? Do you need others? The American independent rebellious spirit says no. And it says, at the first sign of trouble, it says, just like that teenage boy did years and years ago, to heck with you all, I'm out of here. But the believer is not like the world. And the believer pushes past that. And the believer sees that church isn't optional. It's integral to their growth, to their spiritual development, to their ministry, to their flourishing. Listen, I, I want a congregation, not a crowd. All right? Crowds you can go and, and find and stir up anywhere but I want a congregation. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a difference. And we get as much of the Lord as we want. We get as much of the Lord as we want. If you want to take a little sip, you can take a little sip. If you want to take a big gulp, you can take a big gulp. But God wants to do something in us and through us. 
and his mercy, you know, praise God for his mercy, right? And those of you that have uh, seen and tasted the goodness of the Lord, um, let me encourage you, some of you maybe who haven't, like, the Lord is a good Lord. He is very faithful. He is very loving. He is very kind. And I was reading and talking with my boys the other day and my daughter. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I can't find it. But I was encouraging them about God's requirements for us and how, as parents, you know, we have requirements in our house. And um, someday, as they have jobs, there's going to be requirements at their work. But really, there's, there's God's requirements. You might call them laws or commands. And I was trying to emphasize that what we're doing in our small little family community called the Bond household was training them to flourish and to go wherever God might call them outside that little Bond family household. And the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus says, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy burdened. And I love what he says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And some of you might need that rest. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, I encourage you, like, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. He paid the penalty, his own life, so that you could have life. So I encourage you, if you haven't done that, to make the day, the day that you do that, to trust in him. He is very gracious. He is very kind. He is very loving. And he is the one who you can trust for your salvation. Don't trust in yourself. It's going to be an epic fail. It really will. Trust in Christ. Right? He lived the perfect life. Even death itself couldn't hold him down. They put him in a tomb for three days. And it's interesting what the, how the scripture describes it. Some parts of the scripture talk about God the Father raising Jesus. Today I was just reading in Romans. It says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus. And then Jesus tells us even, I myself have the power to lay down my life and take it back up again, right? So it's the triune God working on that Easter Sunday to raise Jesus. Death couldn't keep him down. And if death couldn't keep him down, he's got power over the grave. And if he has power over the grave, he can give that power to you. And you can have that eternal life. You can walk in that newness of life. His life in exchange for yours and your life in exchange for his, the great substitution. And that's available to each one of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that it's through you that we have life and it's not of our own. We thank you that you show us clearly in your word who you are. And you write those things down so we might believe in your Son. And Lord, I pray that you would 
speak to people now. I pray for the believers here, Lord, that we would hear your word and put it into action. I pray for anyone who might not know you, God, small, young, or old, that they would trust you and the work of your son. Lord, I pray that you would make us, you would continue to build us into the spiritual house that you want us to be. That you would use us, God, as ministers of the gospel. That you would use us, Lord, with our giftings to minister to one another. And I pray, God, for a spirit of humility for all of us as we walk and seek you, Lord, that we can't do it and we need you. Thank you, Lord, that you are here for those who call upon you. Your word says, anyone who calls upon you will be saved. So may people truly do that today, God. We love you. Amen.